Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, investing in your people. A system to survive. And let's get down to business. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. Happy April Fool's Day, folks. Oh yeah, well... Is everyone laughing? (laughs) By the time they hear this though, it'll no longer be April Fool's Day, but I forgot it was... uh, It was April yeah. Fool's Day. I have not yeah. been fooled so far. No, and it's funny. I bet you this will be the one. Le- this will probably be the least popular April Fool's Day in the history of the world. Yeah, <laughs> because of the pandemic. But you know what? The COVID crisis is not a joke, <laughs> and, and we would we would never joke about that. Nice segue. Uh, Smooth. Yeah. <laughs> was that brilliant? And and so that that is why we had two of Victoria's perhaps what most well-known businesses in their in, in their respective industries on to talk about how this is affecting them. And I thought the conversation, uh, we got right down to business and, and I found it uh, really inspiring. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, Mike and Shelly Gudgeon from Il Terrazzo as well. They've, uh, they've been responsible for, for many of Victoria's landmark restaurants um, for, for decades so they they provided some amazing perspective on uh, on the restaurant scene, which is one of the hardest hit. I mean, if if you're thinking of what's been significantly affected by COVID, you know, you, you think about airlines and and local restaurants, and and when the the heartbreaking thing is that you kind of expect airlines, those major corporations, sure they're going to have a bad quarter, or a bad year, but they're going to be okay, but local restaurants they're um they're normally single businesses that are operated solely by the the blood sweat and tears of of their owners and their staff that that um are operating on on very thin margins and and um you you got to think that places that we rely on for for our some of our most memorable experiences and and you know engagements and family gatherings uh they're they're not going to be the same or they're, or they're not going to survive this this crisis well what i love that shelly talked about was just the importance of connection and, and how that's been one of the biggest obstacles for them having to close a, a few weeks ago is just that people need that connection and and but then they did talk about the connection they have with their over 65 staff and just how they feel like they're a family and, and and just they talked about how they're still investing in their people. And Mike Mike said the same thing. Um, he's got a staff of um, upwards of seventy as well. And just talking about how um, the best choices they've made as business owners is investing in their in their staff, and, and they're investing in them even more now. So with uh, with this current crisis, and and that as a business owner and, and and you know ten staff myself, it encouraged me to always remember that they are they are the priority of my business no matter what's going on is making sure they're taken care of yeah absolutely the mike you're referring to there is mike miller of abstract developments who was our other guest and um yeah i completely agree and the the reality is if a business wasn't in a healthy place before this hit th- there's almost no way that they're going to survive um and that that's just uh that's just the stark reality, um, and and some businesses that were in a in a good place and maybe just took a, took a risk at with poor timing are are gonna 
uh, fall victim to to this as well. But um, I, I think as we look forward and um, perhaps there's people who are going to be starting a new business at, at the end of all of this or, or are, are in a position where they, they hope to start a business, I think there's, there's lessons that can be taken from, from both of these conversations of very, very successful um, long-term businesses and, and people is definitely one of those themes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, one of the most inspiring things to me about this conversation is it just reminded me of the spirit of resilience that we, we have as entrepreneurs and, and, and ultimately people as well. But entrepreneurs seem to be a different breed. They, they've already gone through so many challenges, often financial, just to even get to the point where they're at. So, so the fact that this, this is often really just another challenge, sure, it's, sure it's a bit larger in scope but they already have that collective resilience. So I didn't get the vibe from, from either Mike, um, both Mike's or Shelly, that there is any sense of like, you know, despair or doom and gloom or, or um, you know, they'd be lucky to survive it. They, they spoke positively. They spoke about how this is going to make things better. And, and I, I hope that encourages a lot of the businesses that are struggling right now, that there's better days ahead. And, and we said it again, this too will pass. Yeah. There's no way that there, with this kind of disruption, that the world is just going to be exactly the same when when it's finished. You know, there's four to six months of of people's habit systems that have been completely changed, and it's just not going to return to business as usual. And I think it's going to be an important thing to remember to to uh, to expect different because it's it's just going to be the way it is. Yeah, for sure. And the one thing we can always do and we we always do have control over is our mindset and our reaction to this thing. And most importantly, sticking together. We we are a species that must connect. And, and if we stick together through this, I think we'll be fine. Mike Miller, welcome. Welcome to the show. You are the uh, chief executive officer and founder at Abstract Developments and uh, and a, a, a perfect guest for the, the conversation we're about to have. So thanks for making the time today. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Yeah, so we are here to talk uh, talk business. We on Obstacle Course cover all kinds of topics, but um, as John and I are both business owners and, and uh, it, it just seems like a really appropriate time to have a, a, a fairly business-oriented conversation um, but as we all know, um, especially those of us who've started a business, it's very personal when, when we have these, uh, conversations. So we're, we're going to get pretty real with it as well. So Mike, we, we wanted to kind of start by going back into, into the past a little bit. And we know that there's a lot of challenges and obstacles that we're all facing in business and, and personally and, and in health right now. But um, we, we wanted to kind of go back in time and, and if you could tell us about uh, an obstacle, um, maybe a core obstacle that you had to overcome when, when starting or, or uh, in the early years of, of abstract developments. Sure. Thank you, Andrew. Um, good question. Uh, if I'm thinking back in my sort of 25 or so years in this industry and incorporated with abstract for just over 20 of them now. I think one of my core obstacles was, uh, which was also turned out to be one of my biggest strengths uh, at the time I didn't know it, was my lack of um, 
structured business understanding. So uh, at times, not knowing what I didn't know uh, was was a was a huge obstacle to me. I didn't have um, a business background in my family, not from a from an entrepreneurial side, nor from a construction side or development side. Um, and nor did I have a mentor at the time. So for, for the better part of the first 10 years, my business, I, I really did run it without a lot of structure and a lot of um, uh, reconciliation and projections and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so Mike, I think it'd be cool for you to maybe even share like how, how you got into the construction business. As you said, this wasn't something that perhaps you laid awake at night as a 12-year-old wanting to do. Hmm. Um, you, you start, does anyone do that? I don't know, but, but you I, <laughs> I laid awake at 12 thinking of girls. I, 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 I didn't think, I didn't think about construction or development. <laughs> you want, you want to develop that. So, um, it's supposed so, to be a family show, correct? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Family-ish. Okay. But, um, but yeah, like, like I know that, uh, the, the legend that I've heard anyways, and, and this is the legend is usually somewhat right is, is that, and correct me if I'm wrong or don't because it may just sound cool and you might just want to go with the legend. <laughs> but but um, what I heard was, was you, you sort of got your, um, your start with like working on cars and, and through that somebody saw your meticulous um, craft craftsmanship with, with vehicles and kind of said, Hey, do you kind of want to work on my house? And it sort of went from there. Well, that's, that's close ish. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly. So I moved, I moved to Victoria from Edmonton, uh, uh, with my mom and my brother, uh, they had my mom and my dad had separated in 1983. So I was, uh, 11 years old. Uh, and, um, and, uh, so again, not a lot of business structure didn't, wasn't promote, wasn't encouraged to go to university at the time. We were kind of hand to mouth to be totally frank. We we're actually living in a co-op in Victoria and, um, and uh, I was actually, so here's the, here's the story. I was actually in grade 12, uh, grade 11 and 12, I was actually training to be a chef. So I actually uh, did the pre-apprenticeship program at Spectrum High School uh, and went into chef's training and worked in a number of restaurants and such uh, until uh, about 19. And then I pivoted over to a bit of construction laboring and stuff like that. Now, now how the, how the real estate side of things sort of evolved was again, I was always kind of a curious fella and uh, the watching my mom who had by that time landed on her feet in the late eighties and bought a townhouse. And I remember distinctively in, in the sort of late eighties, early nineties, I can't remember exact date. She bought a townhouse and it went up, say 30% in a matter of a couple of years. Now it wasn't huge numbers, but I was focused on the percentage. And I thought to myself, let me get this straight. You bought something and it went up in value and that's it. Like it was, it seemed like a really uh, primal understanding of things, but, but uh, on my 19th birthday, and I'm not exaggerating, it was, it was maybe the day after my 19th birthday, I walked into the bank. I had mustered up some cash uh, after uh, taking my, my, my passion around vehicles, which I'd built a Harley Davidson and sold it for a, for a bit of a profit, went into the bank with a fistful of cash and said, I want to buy a house. This was before the lending uh, side of the business had gotten a little bit more creative and the bank manager laughed at me. <laughs> so he said, why, why are you here trying to buy a house? You're 19 years old. And, <laughs> and then a year later, 
I figured it out. Uh, bought uh, bought a, a little tiny half duplex on Cook Street with all the money I had uh, with my with my at the time partner girl, uh, girlfriend, and uh, that was my first house. And that was in um, that was in two thousand and sorry sorry nineteen ninety two. And I remember it was 10.5% interest. So the world's changed a lot, but that's how I got into real estate. And then and then I just started acquiring suites in houses. Uh, I went in the, a year later to pay down the mortgage because it was an open, it was every year back then you could pay down your mortgage. It wasn't open like it is today. And the lady at the bank, by then lending, lending uh, institutions had changed. And she said, why don't you just buy another house? A little light bulb went on and I and she said to me, and I said to her, I said, I can do that. <laughs> and she said, yeah, you can do that. So I thought, oh, great, I'll do that too. So I went out, didn't pay down the mortgage, went out and bought another house, and that was in about 1994 and so on and so on. And um, that's when I founded Abstract Developments. And it was really just meant to build rentals uh, and have a little bit of fun in construction. I enjoyed the process of construction and design. And from there, it kind of evolved into what it is today. So you mentioned some uh some naivety or or lack of kind of formal training in in business and and it was a a great obstacle but but you said it was also um a strength or something you kind of took advantage of maybe following that curiosity or or just being doing things a little bit differently and i was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit and and uh how your lack of experience really um became an advantage Sure. So as I've spoken with younger, younger folks uh, today that are, you know, say, uh, taking their BCom, I'll, I'll tell, I'll just kind of say what I tell them. I think that if you're, this is my humble opinion, uh, if you're getting into business to make money, I think you're going about it the wrong way. I think if you're getting into business because you're passionate about something and you want to, you want to help shape your future and you want to be part of something bigger than yourself and make a mark in the world, and you're passionate about something that's that's i think when you what the, the the fire you know the fuel of the fire the the lack of experience that i had around business just caused a lot of unnecessary heartache so in retrospect it would have been great if i had a mentor at the time that could kind of guide me and and say you know what it's good that you're beating your head against the wall now why don't you try and do it this way so it to me it, it's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a double-edged sword it's good that i had the that I had the lack of experience and lack of structure because it, it took me to places that I otherwise probably would have talked myself out of. It's way easier to talk yourself out of a deal than into a deal. And, and, and I think part of it's in my DNA as well, where I look to, to yes, I don't look to no. I think that level of optimism is kind of a must if you're going to be a, a real estate developer and builder, because there's a million different things that can go wrong and often they do. Well, you know, Mike, for, for those people who are f- well familiar with abstract developments, see your places all over Victoria, they, they might be shocked to realize that the first 10 years, you were almost just kind of like making it up as you went along. Now, you didn't say that, but, but it, you know, without having that structure, it almost sounded like you were just relying on that passion, that intuition, that intelligence, sort of just that, that you know, specific skill set you had to launch that business. And I think actually that is the story of a lot of entrepreneurs, to be honest, you know, the whole fake it till you make it. Um, I, I think it would be um, cool if you could indulge our listeners a little bit and maybe share some of the notable fuck ups you had in that first 10 years. Sure. That's a good question. I, I remember I actually quoted, I did an article probably about 12 years ago and I actually was quoted fake it till you make it. 
And I remember <laughs> I was actually, I was actually uh, criticized for that a little bit. Um, you know, the, the, uh, two, so two part question. One is um, what, what had happened. So again, I didn't, I remember when I met my current wife, uh, she had moved back from Vancouver working, this was after the downturn in 2008, working for a fairly sophisticated developer group in Vancouver, large, large scale developer. And she asked me, I remember, what does your performer look like? Now, performer is just a fancier word for budget. And I remember saying to her, what's that? And this is, <laughs> and this is, this is 2000 and this is 2009. I, I said, so what is it? A, a pro what? Because, because to be honest, and this is not an exaggeration, I had a napkin and I would look at a piece of property with my realtor at the time, Mark Lawless, who's been a, his family's been involved in real estate for a couple, several decades in Victoria. And we'd say, okay, here's a raw piece of land or, or an old house. I did a lot of conversions at the time, character conversions, where you take an old house and convert it into suites. And I, I had the land cost and I had estimated construction cost and I had estimated revenue. And at the time I just deducted real estate commissions. I didn't put anything in for for soft costs, which would be more, you know, architects and such. I didn't put anything in for interest costs. I didn't put any return on investment, like from a, from a, from a, from a numeric perspective or an I or internal rate of return did nothing. I was like, looks good. And, and, and I did it. And often I would keep the napkin and staple it to the file. Now, <laughs> now why, I, why I did that was because to be totally uh, frank, gentlemen, I loved what I was doing. So it wasn't about the money. And, and I know, there's a bit of a connotation. Developers are all about the money and stuff like that. I wasn't the money guy. So I wasn't, I didn't get into this for money. I remember distinctively when I left my full-time job uh, in about 19, sorry, 2001, which is two years after abstract started, I was doing it part-time and working full-time painting cars. I was running jobs and painting cars and all running all over the place. The second part to your question uh, is, uh, is the, the notable fuck ups. I think you put it the yeah. most notable fuck up. Sorry. I would say, how about the most notable sh- shit that I was in at the time? I've been in shit since then, but I've been able to understand what situation I'm in. And that speaks to sort of the current COVID situation to be able to see through it. In, in, about, uh, in about 2009 or 10, the, the, down, the, the, the economic downturn had sort of come back to life a little bit. You know, the economy, especially in, in, in Canada. And I remember I had projections on a pretty decent year. Now, how I did projections was my accountant would sit down and he'd open it up like a Christmas present at the end of the year and go, this is what I made. Because again, I wasn't, I wasn't motivated by the money. I wasn't motivated by the returns. I literally just kind of thought to myself, again, in my mind's eye, even in late 2000, if I made enough money to support my family, I was fine. I was happy. I was doing what I loved doing. And to me, that, that, that made me the richest man in the world. Happy, healthy, and and doing what I love doing. So 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 I I I, I got early projections because by then we started getting to early projections about a month or so out, and I had a pretty decent profit projected for for the year. By the time it got to year end, it swung into a massive negative number, and and I remember just feeling overwhelmed about how I started to feel. What am I doing now? Because this was the first year I was headed for a huge loss. At that time, I actually kind of started to cross a few mentors in my life or or, uh, garner a few. And it was actually Kevin Jardine from SportsMart. He was about 12 years my senior. He was very much like me, started with nothing, doubled down, doubled down, doubled down, 
he had built up 70 stores, which he ended up uh, selling off uh, in mid 2000s to the Frizzani group. And he said to me, he said the best and the worst year of his life was the year that he opened all these stores uh, and lost a million dollars. And what he told, what it told him, he said was I have him, you have to pay attention to, to the numbers. You have to pay attention to the financing. And at the time I didn't care. I, I was just all about having fun and doing what I love doing and designing and, and meeting people and giving them their homes they loved. And, and, and so he described it as driving a huge bus by that point in time down a windy road at night without headlights. It's just dangerous. Mm-hmm. So that, so that, so, so that was a big turning point for me. Yeah. At some point you had to move beyond the napkins. I did have to move beyond the napkins and it's been a long drawn out process. Kyle, my, my, uh, one of my business partners. Now I have a total of three business partners. He sent me an email when he started, he said to me, he sent me what's called an RFI request for information. And I responded back to him. What's this? Cause we hadn't built a structure. We didn't do budgets. We didn't do, we, we, well, we did, but it was literally like 10 items. We didn't do budgets. Well, we didn't do projections. Well, we didn't do cash flow management. We didn't do, you know, uh, change orders, cost tracking. We just didn't do any of that. So it was well, about going off gut instinct, what people want. I, I really felt I was in touch with what people wanted to see and go and do. And my first project that was built through the company was in Cedar Hill area. And uh, a very well-respected person, uh, me- again, mentor of mine, Lois Dutton came through the character conversion. I did just off Cedar Hill. And she said, wonderful product, Mike wrong location you got to get over to fairfield where people where this type of product will be well received and i listened to her got there did two projects in fairfield and by then it took off and i quit my job full-time painting cars i wonder if now is a good time to kind of fast forward and and to to look at some of those lessons that that uh did that have gotten you to this point and and in light of our our current crisis or you know uh challenge however you want to peg it um, what, what do you think is the, the strongest lesson that you learned from those early years that, that will be able to be applied now to, to enable your, your business to survive this? I think that the, the biggest thing that I take away from this, that I feel this is my own personal, I see through the COVID crisis to the, to, to the, to the other side. In, in my own in my own mind okay so so what I take what I what I tell them is when you're knee deep in shit okay like you're, you're literally drowning and you're treading as fast as you can and you're sinking like quicksand and you've got the straw that you're just sipping air through as you're as you're buried in shit know that you're in shit so if you if you can know that you're in shit and you're going to be in shit for a period of time breathe through it because you know, freaking out is not going to help you any. So breathe through it. I mean, be, be prudent, be sophisticated, be strategic, take in feedback from other people, read what news you need to read in order to be educated, but see through this to the other end, because this too shall pass. Time will give time is the only thing that will heal this is time. And, and, and again, again, this is my personal opinion. The world has faced challenges like this in the past, why would this one be any different? Why, you know, it's always a different, comes in a different shape, form, size, color. This is just, this is just a time. Now, I'm not trying to, by any stretch of the imagination, um, undermine what's happening on the health crisis, on the economy side of things, but this too shall pass like anything. 
So, Mike, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about what is the practical impact on your business right now? Have you had to lay people off? Have you had to pause projects? What's that look like? Two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, we classified all our sites as A through D. A's are most important. B's are very important. C's will drop off eventually and D's shut it down. And that's what we went in. We sprung into action, classified our sites and and just... And just more so not about human resources, but take the focus on the most important projects and, and then explicitly meeting or exceeding the recommendations from the, from, from the Center for Disease Control or WorkSafe BC or what have you. So we're taking all those and we're checking in. We have, in one site, we have a guy going around wiping doorknobs all day long just to make sure that we're meeting or exceeding these things. The, these are people and these are people on the front line. There are staff, there are, there are partners and we treat them with respect. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. A lot of really great stuff there, Mike. And, and one thing that stood out to me was uh, the effect of prioritization and it, it can be so useful uh, to, to really focus on whether it's in a business or, or uh, how we're personally dealing with this. Cause there's, there's no doubt that everyone is like everyone in the Western world is severely affected by this. And it's, it's very essential to kind of be able to step back and look at, okay, what are the most important things? I'm not going to be able to be a hundred percent effective as I, as I am in my normal life right now, but, or in my business, but let's, let's really determine what needs the most of our focus and, and let's, Let's prioritize that, and I, I just really appreciate that from from a business perspective, as well. Just um, how we can personally um, use this time most effectively. Um, maybe uh, we're we're uh, we're reaching our, our time here, but um, I, I wonder what um, what opportunities you might be looking for to to be of service or or to be um, strong in the community or or um, to set yourself up for for later success. Um, for, for abstract you think might be found in, in our current situation? You know, it's interesting um, question. I'll try and answer it, but the word opportunity right now, in fact, one of my, my opening lines when I did the, when I did the address to the company was one of my core responsibilities as a CEO is to focus on opportunities and guiding the company that is completely shifted to mitigating risk and keeping the boat afloat. Okay. Uh, from a and here's something that I that uh, that not everybody agrees with me on on the opportunity side of things from a business standpoint, economically, I struggle with it on a personal level. So so for example, a lot of people talk about the stock market. I struggle with this. Is just my my weird you know uh, <laughs> nuance. I don't I don't I don't invest in the stock market, and I certainly wouldn't right now. And I'll tell you why is because there is a there is there is a lot of hardship that is that has been created. And going to continue to create. I don't want to capitalize on hardship. It's just, and again, and not no judgment to anybody out there. On the opportunity side for the business, and I'll go into that, we want to be better and we want to be stronger. We want to be smarter. And I'm going to bet on Victoria. I'm going to bet on, on BC. I'm going to bet on Canada. I'm going to bet on the human race. And I'm going to continue to do everything I can to plug into these projects and get these projects to market. Cause I think that we have a wonderful uh, uh, city that is a huge draw for people for quality of life. And we're going to keep going so that we can be first in market. So if I was going to be opportunistic, I'm going to double down and believe in, in, in us uh, as previously mentioned and forge forward 
to be first in first in first in market. One other point you asked me about layoffs. Uh, I did say this uh, amongst all these other messages that are out in the out in the world right now about large companies taking pay cuts and laying off thousands of people. Here's what we said. Okay, is so we're roughly about seventy people. Uh, we do we 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 started. This is the first year complete of an employee profit sharing program where we share a component of the of the of the group's profit with every employee, if, assuming you qualify for a period of time for for one year. So and, and we also had wage reviews to uh, on March 31st. So we had employee reviews in January, wage reviews on March 31st. We started by saying that the leadership group is going to take zero increases and zero bonuses until further notice. So we're on fro we're frozen. However, outside that leadership group, every single person we're going to get their bonuses and their salary increases with the same level of integrity without COVID. And in some cases we're going to actually pre-advance that to give those people the money sooner than later. So we're going to bet on our people. That's again being opportunistic from that perspective. Lastly is layoffs. There's only been a handful of layoffs to do with with people can't work in the field. Thus far, there's been zero layoffs in the office. There was one wor uh, workshop student that was in that we had to uh, suspend her program temporarily. But apart from that one workshop uh, program and a few field people that have just not been, you, know, you know, they've gotten sick or what have you, we're, we're forging along and we've given that commitment to the staff for now. I mean, I can't say what, what, what the future holds. I believe it's going to, turn around and where we will have made the right decision for the greater good. So, so Mike, my, my takeaway from that, from that inspiring um, account of, of how you're conducting your business is just you're, you've remained true to your values, even during this tough time. And, and perhaps that's, that's even more important to re, to maintain true to our values when we're going through stress. The other thing that, that I thought about as you were talking was, you know, you, you recounted your history of resilience through, through those first 10 years. And, and it's almost like, and I think this is true for maybe all entrepreneurs, we're almost wired to be able to handle this challenge because this isn't the first challenge we've had. Uh, it might be one of the biggest, but it's not the first. And so the training we've gone, gone through as entrepreneurs over the last five, 10 years, perhaps now it's even more important to lean on that training and that training will help see us through. Yeah, and, and be, be smart. And, and as Andrew was saying, prioritize that, that that's that's that those are good those are good principles those are good practices but but there's but again your people people make a company don't undervalue that and just cut them loose now we're very fortunate 70 people is maybe more manageable than than 150 with all due respect i, I different companies have different dynamics but again we're doubling down on our people for today phenomenal thank, yeah. thank you mike yeah that's great stuff um and uh, yeah, I think what you're speaking of touches a uh, touches a lot of different businesses and, and profiles, and uh, and I think a lot of people, whether they're in in business or just uh, trying to figure out how to cope and and stay positive, will will respond really well to these messages. So so thanks a lot, Mike. Th well, thank you, gentlemen, for having me, and I really do appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we appreciate your time and and uh, and sage words. So thanks and and. We look forward to seeing uh, what Abstract has, has coming up next. Lots, lots, you'll see. <laughs> okay, well, 
Excited to have you here, Shelly. We have Shelly Gudgeon on, who is the uh, one of the owners of Il Terrazzo Restaurant, a, a landmark restaurant in Victoria for over 25 years, and, and also a, a, a former city councillor in Victoria as well. And, and I and we may have Mike, who is... We do have Mike. Okay, Mike, Mike is hey, here. Hey, what's up, Mike? <laughs> and, and, and yeah, Mike, Mike does a lot of things, uh, including something involving a chainsaw, but he's, he's back inside from that and, and uh, also um, the owner of, of Il Terrazzo Restaurant. So thank you both for being here. Just being a restaurant for, for over 25 years, surviving for that long is an accomplishment in itself. And I, I, I've spent some time in in the food and beverage industry and and know the the all the obstacles that that one uh, might face when being in that in that very difficult industry. So I was wondering if we could start just by by t- talking about the the greatest obstacle that you you have tackled in the past and overcome in the past um, that has got you to this point in in Il Terrazzo's history. Oh boy. Um... Okay, so just to back up a little bit, um, my husband and I, Mike, uh, I worked in the restaurant business as a youngster in my teens and and met Mike when I was a bartender in Vancouver. Uh, But we came upon the restaurant business a little bit uh, uh, not with intention. Uh, My brother, Mike Murphy, actually, uh, my husband sold his company, very successful company in Vancouver to Exxon. And uh, my brother came over and wanted us to... uh, be silent partners in the first restaurant, which was Chaconi's. So we were silent partners with Mike, um, my brother, for five years. And um, in that time, we opened uh, five restaurants, which uh, obviously you can imagine the stress of opening five restaurants. And what we learned and what my husband is so good at and brought to the table was being fiscally responsible. Mm. And so I think... Um, when, when we separated from my brother, it was a very nasty acrimonious split, um, that would have been 24, 23 years ago. I think that was the biggest challenge because we weren't restaurateurs and yet we had three restaurants that we ended up with in, in the split, which was, uh, Chaconi's Fifth Street Bar and Grill in Il Terrazzo. So we had to, at that point, our biggest challenge, not being restaurateurs, was to overcome both our fears and and my fear specifically in managing a hands-on a restaurant, taking charge and being a leader, and coupled with the community. Victoria's a small town, as you know. Everybody waiting for us to fail, mm. and you know everybody's not circling. But it felt it felt it was tough. It was a real tough go. Those were the early days in Fifth Street. We had just opened. And uh, it was the biggest obstacle that I've ever faced. But we succeeded through sheer hard work and determination, and, uh, and we managed to overcome that big obstacle. So in comparison, everything since then kind of pales. Um, I, don't, I hope that answers yeah. what you Yeah, I mean, what an extraordinary story. Like, like, it's challenging enough just to start one restaurant. You guys decided to start three or four at a time. Um, what on earth uh, possessed you to do such a thing? Well, initially we opened Chiconi's, as Shelley explained, and our chef there was a Romanian engineer who became a chef when he emigrated into uh, Canada. He went to Winnipeg and he worked at a fine dining hotel under the tutelage of a European chef named Joseph Beaver. And uh, 
as it turned out, Joseph wanted to move to Victoria. So uh, Shelley's brother and I spent six months looking for a site to put this chef into. So our second restaurant was open because we ended up with access to a really good chef who wanted to move here. So he was going to stay here for a period of time. So that's how we ended up with Il Terrazzo. And that, just to interrupt, but that, that really is the key to our success is we've designed our restaurants around the chef first and keeping long-term employees. Um, Mike and I, we realized our strength is in empowering people and um, not so much, we don't micromanage. And that's been a key to having um, long-term employees be with us. And I think it's one of the failings of many um smaller restaurants who go, no, I can cook, I can do it. And then they micromanage their chef and they micromanage their staff and they don't empower them and, and, uh, and allow them to do what they're good at. I think another point too is most people think that restaurants are about cooking and recipes when in actual fact, successful restaurants are based on systems and it's the duplication of the systems over and over again that allows you to do the volume that allows you to make money. And most people, they're opening a restaurant because their friends tell them what a great cook they are when cooking is actually not the most important thing. Everyone can look up recipes. Yeah, yeah, abs absolutely. I mean, that's one thing we learn. We learn about successful businesses. Like the technician side of the business is one little part. You still have to manage it. You still have to market it. You still have to, you know, invest in people the actual act of the business is is not the whole thing and and that's def definitely sounds to be the case for, with you guys it's certainly about relationships throughout the community yeah you know, with, with the neighborhood that your restaurant's in with your staff with your customers um with your family i mean it, it's just about relationships especially in a town the size of victoria we absolutely the other successful thing we've learned over and over again and especially with relevance to covid 19 in and the future is you have to keep your locals happy and we've always succeeded at keeping our local um, clientele we're not we're busy in the summer obviously there's more volume in town but we have a very loyal steady clientele throughout the winter months and the quieter months that i think will help us uh continue to move forward as we tackle what what what's to come next for sure and i i, I certainly appreciate the the emphasis on relationships in in business i think it um that's what definitely was the the sole uh reason that that my own business had success early on and, and has continued to it's, it's it's really just a focus on uh, mutually beneficial relationships and and i wanted to kind of continue shelly on that path of of how restaurants specifically but you know community members and business businesses in the community will respond do you think there's a a single uniting factor that um that the businesses that do get through this and and I, restaurants operate with such razor thin margins even in the best of times so we're, we're definitely going to see a, a a serious impact and, and probably the loss of a great number of restaurants through this crisis but w what do you think the factor that will be uniting the the ones that do survive um when, when we're at the end of this well, again, I, I mean, it's back to the relationships, not to hammer that too hard home, but, and it's about trust in those relationships and trust in the product and trust um, in the experience. I mean, a lot of people I've seen on CBC yesterday with the owner of Joe Beef sort of signaling the end of restaurants as we know it. Um, I don't, people need to connect and they need to connect 
we as a species need human, I mean, this is one type of connection, but we crave for connection across the table and physical connection. And I think with some modifications and how we adjust to the new world, um, customers will come back to the establishments they trust, the, the, the relationships they have with those people at the, at the establishments. And I think we'll, we'll have to just base it on one of the things that somebody said to me today that I found very uh, interesting, and I hadn't specifically zoned in on that, is a lot of people will we'll, we'll be shy. A lot of people coming in travel is going to be decimated in the, in the near, to, near to short term, maybe over the next year. But we also have everybody home in Victoria now. We have all our snowbirds, all our travelers. We're a retirement community, and they're all going to be home with us. And I think there's some real optimism to look at in really cultivating our local um, connections in our city, our neighbors, people that we might only see once a year. I think we're going to see and cultivate those relationships more. And that'll help with business, I'm, ho I'm hoping. Yeah. Value. Sure. Value. So, yeah. So I think there's a there's a really interesting dichotomy at play here, um, which upon seeing when, whenever this crisis does end and and our previous guest, Mike Miller, used the phrase this too shall pass. And, and I think that's it's, it's something that we can all remember and, and remind ourselves of that this this will finish at some point. And and so the, the dichotomy that I'm referring to is is one of customers will go back to some somewhere where they were comfortable and, and kind of wanting to um, just have everything back to normal and, and have that nostalgia. But at the same time, whenever this disruption is finished, it, and it'll probably be four to six months before we're, we're even really able to go back to our normal lives and, and, and maybe longer, um, the, the reality is the Western world has never had a, a crisis at, like this, at least maybe not since World War II, and, and things aren't going to be exactly the same. There, there are going to be changes when our, our habit systems have been completely thrown out of whack, and, and I just wonder what effects you might see of that or, or how you might respond to, to the change um, that is, it, it seems like, at least from my perspective, is, is going to be inevitable when, when this is finished. Well, right now we're working with our with Rob, our manager, our general manager, and Kirk, our chef, and we're talking about you know we're going to be re -seat, we'll be seating the restaurant differently moving forward when we open up when we are able to open up again, um, for sure. I think people will appreciate. We, as you know, we were quite we're quite tight on a busy night in Ultra, so it can feel um, it's loud and boisterous and it has that energy, and we'll want to maintain that. But I think that distancing is going to We'll have to look at that seriously and make some adjustments to it. Um, obviously, lineups at the door. I mean, it's having said all that, I, I mean, we can overthink this too much. It's amazing how quickly we forget. The human spirit is very resilient as well. And I think um, it'll be interesting to watch what's happening in Asia right now, which is has the population is so much greater than ours. We Once again, in the South Island, what are we? Maybe 400,000 people mm -hmm. on this in this large area. I think... I think we're resilient and I think we will, we may forget quicker than we think we will. I, I, I don't, I hope we don't become paranoid. 
I mean, otherwise it's the death knell of nightclubs of, you know, um, yeah. all, all sorts of social connections that are part of our culture. So well, I think part of it though, too, is you got to remember that it, it is going to have effect, but not everyone reacts differently to everything. Right. And, uh, this won't be any different. I don't think. And right now you'll have the, you know, we have the, the two meter or six foot rule. Some people think that should be six meters. So they're going to stay as far away as possible, but those, people probably don't spend a lot of time going to fine dining restaurants and stuff because they're already concerned. About right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas your average guy is going to be going, well, you know, it was fine before this happened and it's been fine for 40,000 years. So why won't it be fine after? And it's probably going to be yeah. the mindset that we'll end up with. We'll have precautions and we'll, we ourselves will initiate stronger protocols with regard to cleaning and uh, in-service cleaning and stuff like that. But uh, I think, it's going to depend on the personality, but fortunately for us, the type of personality that's very wary probably doesn't go out a lot. A lot. Um, I'll tell you uh, this. I, I find this a wonderful story. It made, it filled my heart with joy at the time. And this was, I'm trying to think back. It was around the 5th of March and we had, this was all just being talked about. We're an old building. We've been there a long time. And uh, Rob, our manager suggested that he bring in all the senior nights all, all the senior servers and we had 19 staff come in at one o'clock on a saturday afternoon and we detailed that restaurant top to bottom um it was incredibly empowering and team building and i think initiatives like that we'll see a lot as we move forward i'm actually delighted about airplanes because they stopped cleaning airplanes years ago due to cutbacks I'll be so excited to see actually cleaning crews go on airplanes now and clean them. And I think in many um, business establishments, there'll be a stronger focus on day-to-day -day, um, uh, being extra careful with sanitation for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, one, one thing I did want to bring up was, you know, for, for those perhaps restaurants that are listening to this right now that look to you as, as a leader and an, ex and an example in our industry, um, how are you practically navigating um, this closure right now? Like you, you closed a couple of weeks ago, uh, you have dozens of staff. Um, how is how is that going? So, so what we've done, um, dozens of staff. We have sixty five staff. Wow, wow. <laughs> we have a lot of staff, yeah. and these are family supporting jobs that are that 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 we have out there. Um, we're connecting with them. Uh, twice a week with newsletters. We're talking about the future. We're, um, we've got a Facebook, uh, some sort of messenger sort of type um, page that the staff are interacting with. We're trying to maintain the family connection that we have and the connections with each other. Um, we're offering assistance. Everyone's pitching in with different offers to help each other. We're just working hard to stay upbeat with our staff. I mean, it's, 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 it's no different than you would with a family. You know, you're, we're trying to keep them close, even at a distance, but just letting them know that we're here for anything that they may need and to be ready to go when we get the word to, to get going. I mean, hopefully we'll, once that word comes down, we'll be down there with our staff and opening up. Well, and, and Angie and I have said, once they do open things up, people will be desperate for that experience. At, at Il Terrazzo and all the fine places around Victoria and the island, uh, People aren't going to be at home. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be just desperate for that connection and, and good fine dining experience for sure. Both of their divorce court appointments. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hopefully, well, they're still married. Yeah. 
we'll have to, uh, our chef right now and our general manager, we're also working on, we'll probably streamline our menu a little bit. It'll be a slower open. You know, we're anticipating, it'll be, people will be itching to get out, but I don't think it'll be, it'll take years to rebuild to the numbers that we were at um, wow. in this past year. I think that's going to be a, it, it will be a, re, a slow rebuild, I believe. Mm. Yeah, anything's possible. Like, like I say, things are, you, you got to remember too, that it's like uh, when you talk to the doctor, when you go to the doctor and he tells you something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, it's something you could die from. But they always tell you that because when you find out the truth that you're just going to have to go to the hospital and get an operation and be fine in two weeks, you feel real happy even though your body's being invaded by something. And then, Absolutely. You know, it'll be the same same kind of thing with this. People will slowly get And look at all the money they're going to have to spend. Yeah. We're not spending any money staying home all day, are we? Well, that's yeah. right. <laughs> that's right. But nobody, because nobody can spend any money on anything. We, you know, we had been worried about our staff. That's why we resisted closing until we had some idea of what the government was going to do for them. Because they file for UI, they don't get it for four to six weeks, right? So they need their they need their money. So we wanted to keep them working, and then we were concerned about uh, making sure we had finances available to help them if they needed it. Right. But now the government's announced everything, so we're feeling a lot uh, more comfortable. But I think one of the things that folks don't know, we're hearing a lot more about it in the news of late in the last few days. The restaurant business, which we're familiar with, but I'm sure it's no different from many retailers on all throughout Victoria, is that they've they've put all their money into either their new stock, their you know, and then you need money coming in, and without that money coming in, it. Um, it can be the death knell for many businesses. We're fortunate that given, um, well, Mike, we're, we, we're not big risk takers, that we do have, a, we hope enough of a cushion that will take get us through the next few months until, so we can weather the slow rebuild. Some restaurants might not be as fortunate, and that's tragic. So I hope you and your wife get out as soon as this gets lifted and we'll see you down there. Yeah. There's a $1,000 <laughs> bottle of wine down there with your name on it. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to ask bef- before we wrap up here, um, Shelley, you spent three years um, as a oh. Victoria City <laughs> Councillor and <laughs> what wonderful memories, it seems, oh. from that time. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm just curious about um, what what you learned there um, that that might apply to, to how the city is going to respond or or the makeup of of the city or you know going back to wearing that hat and, and seeing from that perspective oh boy everything's going to be different absolutely everything is going to change on a civic level i believe um the mike miller not might not appreciate me saying this um but i think how we build um our density you know, everybody's been been screaming how great density is and we need density, density, density. I'm so grateful we have Seanigan Lake to come up to because I would be absolutely stir crazy living downtown and not being able to go downtown, you know, in a, in, a, in a condo without the green spaces, without the parks, without the ability to breathe in the fresh air. I, from a civic level, like I said, I, I smelt sea air. We have a condo in Victoria in the Inner Harbor. I smelt sea air for the first time in five years last week without mm-hmm. all the emissions on the harbor and the, um, you know, it, it's a game changer for our, what we're seeing in our environment, um, which is at the civic level and how we build, you know, and how much we build and what we can sustain if this was to happen again. And, uh, you know, 20 story buildings without ample parkland, 
I don't know. I mean, I think we need to look at that carefully and maybe invest in parks as much as we invest in the building community so that we have an equal balance of both as we move forward. Um, local urban gardens, you know, all these things are going to be critically important if this happens again to us. Um, and I'm, I mean, hopefully it won't. I don't want to be fearful because maybe we'll get the vaccine and this will be the sort of Spanish flu of, you know, our lifetime and it won't come back. But with the, the, the more people and the way we globally travel, um, I don't think it will be. I think, well, this is just going to gear us up for the next one. So we'll have to make thoughtful and more balanced decisions as we move forward at, at a civic level. So, so Shelley, you mentioned resilience and, and, and another word for that is grit. I'm sure you learned both of those things um, as a city councillor. How are you using that learned resilience and grit to get through this? Well, just knowing like what you were saying your earlier um, interview said, uh, this too shall pass and, mm -hmm. you know, stay positive, but be pragmatic. And uh, in, in essence, be a bit of a cheerleader for your staff and for your business. And, and uh, you know, you can go down that we I'm trying right now to stay away from too much news, you know, yeah. once or twice a day, because the rabbit hole is a really dangerous one for folks mental health. And I think once again, that's at a civic level, what we're going to learn is how important to keep people sane. Um, because a lot of us, you know, we, we can go down that rabbit hole and it, it, it it's, it's devastating. So, for sure. you know, I think, what did I learn as a city councillor that no matter what you do, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Not everybody agrees, but um, that's why I'm grateful to be in the restaurant business where you know, you, people are grateful when you try real hard. And, you know, I think that that's been our success is that they know we're, we're hardworking folks and we try real hard to make sure they have a nice experience. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. And, and as you referred to earlier, um, even like I think everyone who's in the restaurant business is, knows that you have to work really, really hard. And, and the reality is um, a lot of those businesses are probably, despite all the hard work, still not going to survive. Um, and, and I think yeah. it's, it's really important to remember that um, we, we need to support local however possible, um, both now and, and when this um, comes to pass, um, because th those are... Uh, pillars of, of our community and um and they're our neighbors they're they're exactly. our friends i mean and, and mm -hmm. that goes every and that's with the builders everybody we're all connected and i think like the blizzard remember the blizzard um that we had 20 years ago we saw how connected we are in that and how we can rely on each other and maybe we'll be all each one of us will be able to help the smaller businesses and the smaller restaurants to survive once we get going, you know, we can send them that, that optimism by showing up at their door on Monday or Tuesday night and having dinner. And that might be just what they need to encourage them not to pull the plug. You know, it, it, it seems like it, it often takes tragedy and tough times to bring us together. That just seems to be the way the story of our species. Um, but 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 it can be a beautiful story. And, and we're seeing that now how many businesses and people are stand, stepping up and trying to help people through this. And, and, and it sounds like you're doing that with your staff and with your community. I think, I think that's a great example. So uh, we have a couple minutes left and, and I guess in closing, we just wanted to, to thank you for your example, all these past 25 years and, and what you've been doing. And most importantly, thank you for feeding us. I can't wait till you're open again. <laughs> us too. I miss my, I miss my terrazzo meals for sure. But uh, that it's, uh, 
I'm doing okay, aren't I? We're oh, we're yeah. managing cooking at home. We're going through that freezer of food, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Well, it's been good, guys, and uh, I'm, we're going to go check on the chipper outside, and you're, you're not going to recognize the, the yard when we're done. No, I'm looking sure. forward to seeing it. <laughs> well, you got to keep busy when you're hardworking folks. Yeah, that's right. definitely. It's how we stay sane. It is. Uh, well, th- thanks both for, for your time and for joining us today. And, and we wish you all the best and, and can't wait to, to be back in there. Oh, and, and, and one thing that we didn't, we kept under wraps, but I might not keep it under wraps. Did we tell? Did you know that um, Megan and Prince Andrew were in Terrazzo, what, two weeks before we shut down? No, really? Yeah, they were. Yeah, <laughs> did, it's pretty cool. Did you, get, did you get notice that they were coming? Oh, no, you must Really? Didn't. They, they came in the front door. They no. left through the front door. Nobody knew. Our manager actually texted us and went, you'll never believe who's here. So That's amazing. That's yeah. Did you, did you get them to write a review? No, <laughs> no we didn't. We didn't. But uh, that was another highlight. So it was, anyhow, that was, yeah. it was a fun night. And it brought all the staff together once again. We were all pretty thrilled with all the restaurants to choose. And they chose us. It was quite, quite wonderful. Cool. Awesome. Well, all right. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we had one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media, and of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.